Russellville.com presents the book Lance by Chance, wrestling as a Von Erich. Hear how he was discovered, what happened when he was at World Class, and the adventures he had when he left Dallas. Also available, the Pro Wrestling Vault, Volume 1 and 2. Read stories of the Northern Wrestling Federation, Jazz, Bobby Eaton, Thunder Rosa, Tracy Smothers, Harley Race, PJ Black, Bushwhacker Luke, The Fantastics, Ricky Morton, Scott Casey, Tim Storm, Kamala, Sauronaro, Jeremiah Plunkett, Andrew Anderson, and many more. Get your books today at Russellville.com. It's It's where wrestling lives. The upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. And now for something completely different. I'm a Hall of Famer. I'm in three Halls of Fame. For the young fans, they don't give a damn. They just give a damn about themselves and what they're hearing now. And I got no problem with those rules. I know the rules going in. I'm happy to play the game that way. And when Ivan came off with that uh, knee drop from the top rope and he bent me, I thought that something happened. I couldn't hear a thing. You could have heard the pin drop in that arena. It touched me so deeply that when I went in the dressing room, I really felt depressed. I'll tell you that, I'll tell you right to his face. If the Hogan and I, if he wanted to get in a real street fight with me, trust me, he would lose. And he knew it. You know, that's the other thing. They give you the belt and they're like, okay, you're in charge of me. I was like, what? When you mentioned a guy like Harley Race, that kind of legendary status, it's obvious why people would get upset. Or as I'm concerned, Roddy Piper was not a wrestler. He wasn't even a good worker. If he had to go out and work his way to the top and not have good friends like Jim Barnett. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying he's not a good guy. He's just not a tough guy. Bro, I swear to you, I don't have an ego. Like, I don't give a crap. I, that stuff is not important to me. People don't know me. They have no idea of who I am. They know of me as being a fictional character that they saw on TV. People didn't understand that, you know, the guy they saw in the ring that happened to be using his real name, that happened to actually be the president of the company, they really believed that that guy that they loved to hate was actually a pretty decent guy. And I think many people have the perception that I really was that character. Welcome to the two-man power trip of wrestling. I am your host, JP John Paz. With me today is a promoter out there from Ireland, of course, Irish Whip Wrestling. He is Mr. Simon Rochford. Simon, welcome to the two-man power trip. How are you doing? Hello, John. How are you? Thanks for having me on your podcast. I'm looking yes. forward to it. Um, yes, we out there in Ireland. Nice. Have you ever had anybody speak Irish to you? Gaelic? No, not that I can remember. Simon is Adam Dunn. Dillian Odeus, TG Carter. <laughs> You're speaking you Game of Thrones right now. I don't know what that is. There's a force for you. <laughs> <laughs> Almost sounds like uh, Game of Thrones a little bit. Uh, Game of Thrones, yeah, that's its very own unique kind of. Yeah, yeah. So what's going Anglo-Saxon on? Saxon language, huh? Yeah. What's going on in your world? What have you been up to? So for me, um, I've ran wrestling in Ireland for almost 20 years. So we would have had a national territory where I go all over the country. And I've been to Wales, Scotland and England. But I haven't ran since COVID. So when COVID came in, I kind of got used to not doing shows and I didn't really end up missing wrestling. So what I did there recently was there was an old Irish wrestler called Irish Pat Barrett. I don't know if you've ever heard of Pat, have you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So- he was big in the WWE. 
WF with Vince McMahon Sr. and uh, the the old days. He feuded with Davey O'Hannon for a bit. That's right, actually, yeah. He, um, not long before he passed, he was actually talking about Davey O'Hannon and Kevin oh. Sullivan to me. Um, oh, he was there in, talking to Kevin, oddly enough. Uh, 1963, he first went to WWF, and then he went again in the mid-70s. So he wrestled all over the world, but he was a very old-school wrestler. He was very much a heel in his real life. I suppose for four decades, he was convincing people he was real, and he was a championship amateur wrestler. But he carried it over into his life when he returned home to live in Ireland. So people never knew how to take him because he was always very, he was a very tough guy, and He's always trying to haggle with people. like. But anyway, with Pat, I remember chatting to Pat and I kept saying to him, like, you know, I'd see him on and off over the years. And I was saying about putting some of his stories together as an interview. And he wasn't into it. He was very much still in the cafe. But then when I convinced him to do it, unfortunately, he passed away within maybe a week, just over a week after that. So he had all this energy and passion for putting podcast together or a youtube show around pat um so after he passed i ended up setting up uh irish whip wrestling chronicles podcast and it was just about irish whip wrestling history and stuff that's gone on in ireland over the years so i'm kind of enjoying that it's a kind of a creative release at the moment like you know thanks to pat yeah yeah pretty cool when did he pass he passed november of last year um he caught covid and he went to the hospital and he died within two days being in hospital, which was unfortunate because he was always a very strong character. Like, you know, El how Pat. old was he when he passed? He was 80, 85, I think he was in his 80s. Oh, um, he that. always tried to hide his age. He always used to try and say he was younger. He was quite the handsome man back in his day. And he used to carry himself and he was very strong still. He was in great shape when he passed. Um, but yeah, he, he did loads. He... He tagged with the likes of um, Dominic Danucci, uh, Andre the Giant, for Billy Graham, Rocky Johnson, Peter Moivia. He was pretty big in Canada and down in Australia, New Zealand as well. Like so, there was never an Irish guy to, tra- to travel like that and have the career that he did up until modern day WWE. You know, yeah, it's funny that. They kind of take McIntyre as like the first, but he's really not, not even close. As the first Scottish guy. Well, yeah, well, I guess he's yeah. more the Scottish, yeah. but like, I guess Pat Barrett really is the first Irish guy, right? If you yeah, think about first guy from the Republic of Ireland. So you have, obviously, you have Fit Finley, who's from Northern yes. Ireland. Yep. And then, did you ever hear of a guy called Shillelagh O'Sullivan, the real name Pat McMahon? No. Mm-mm. So he was an Irish Catholic from Northern Ireland. So he wrestled in Toronto for the 20s back in the day. And he did a very little bit. When I say a little bit, maybe four or five shows for the WWF back in the day, which didn't really work out for him. So, yeah, they're always, it's wrestling. People always claim to be the first. I know one of the Highlanders is Scottish. Yeah, so Rory. Yeah. And if you remember the guy called, um, Oh, geez, I'm trying to give it. It was there in the 80s. He used to wrestle. Scott Casey wrestled as a one, as one stage. Jeff Parts, I think, is his real name. He wrestled in Stampede. He was an enhancement talent with the WWE. So he was Scottish, as far as I know. But again, there you go. So Drew McIntyre wasn't the first Scottish guy. Yeah, yeah, that, definitely not. Yeah, yeah. With that, was Davey O'Hannon really 
From no, Ireland, he was, or was he really from Boston or something? Yeah, he was Irish-American. So he had lots of guys back in the day who were Irish-American that they would claim was Irish. Even Randy Orton's granddad, um, he used to wrestle as an Irish wrestler back with the WWF. Um, obviously, he wasn't Irish. like So it's what he did in the day. He passed him off as certain countries. Skull Murphy was Canadian, and he passed him off as Irish as well, like, you know. There was a little guy named Hulk Hogan that used to pretend he was Irish for a bit. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Actually, yeah, Irish, the big Irish American guy, and um, Ivan Koloff. Ivan Koloff was pushed as Irish back in his early careers. Read, read something. Oh yes, yes, yep. Before he became Ivan Koloff, obviously, yeah, the yeah. Russian terror. Yeah, yep. So, well, you had all these Irish wrestlers. Not many of them were actually Irish. <laughs> That's so funny. I guess they, they liked the ethnicity back then. They were making sure certain guys were certain ethnicity. Yeah, and there was a chap called Tim Tim Gagan. Have you ever heard of Tim Gagan, old Irish wrestler? Doesn't sound familiar, no. He was from the west of Ireland. Now, again, he did kind of like Pat. He hadn't got the career that Pat had. He started off as a boxer. Uh, he went all over Canada, all over America. Uh, Vancouver, he was pretty big in the old uh, Pacific Northwest. The Tonones. Territory, the yep. NW, yep, was there as well, but he passed away there in the early 2000s. And um, again, nobody really remembers him, and he was a genuine Irishman, you know. Speaking of you and an Irish whip wrestling, like, how did that start? How did you kind of get in and start promoting? Because you said you've been promoting for 20 plus years, 20 years. So, the way it happened with me was I was going to set up a wrestling magazine called Irish Whip. So with the amount of costs that went into that, the administration, the legal, it uh, was costing so much money that I said to myself, I might try and build a promotion. Now, at the time, myself and Seamus used to work in the same bar. I was a bartender. He was a bouncer. And that's how we became friends. I had a wrestling magazine I was reading one day. We got chatting. And uh, I was going to push him from the beginning as, excuse me, the Irish guy there. So he went off and he went to, his mom lived in America at the time. So he went to, I think it was New Jersey, where the Monster Factory is. Yep. That's New Jersey. Yeah. So he went there to train and he had mixed stories on him when he came back. Uh, it didn't really work out from the way it did work. So he came back to Ireland and then I started to use him around 2004. But well, prior to that, to go back to 2002, there was no Irish training skills. There was no Irish talent in Ireland at the time. So I had to use international guys. So I'd bring in the likes of Tatanka, PN News, Mike Modest. So as you can understand, it was very, very costly flying these guys in. And I booked a big 2,000-seat arena for two shows. And I worked in, in bars, so I was used to promoting music acts to adults. So I advertised to adults, but I didn't get the numbers I thought I would. So I had a big 2,000-seat arena, and I had roughly 300 people in for the fourth show. 500 for the second show and then it completely changed the format and I started to advertise to families to kids to young people and then I brought Jake the Snake in while he was living in England he's he was quite the character back then and uh, I ran the same arena and got 1200 people when I knew how to market wrestling towards a younger audience and a more family audience whereas now wrestling has changed in Europe it's more for the adults than it is for young people so it's Gone around full circle. Are you still buddies with Seamus? Um, no, no. We stayed in contact for a long time. He looks after my eldest son, 
um Ben with tickets and so forth whenever they come over here. Like so I can't fault them for that. But we had um some strong disagreements and we ended our friendship, which was unfortunate because he was the best man at my wedding when I did get married. Um me, him and Drew were quite tight, but again, it's wrestling. Uh, there's a lot of animosity on both sides at one stage. So that was the end of that friendship. Like, but fairness to the lads, they've gone on now and done extremely well for themselves, you know. You're not in contact with Drew anymore either? Um, <laughs> no, no, I'm not in contact with Drew. Again, uh, Drew and Seamus met here. Um, I was very fond of those two lads at the time. I could tell they were talent, talented. We used to have Puck. Puck, is that how you pronounce his name? Yep. PAC. I remember when he would come in, I used to see the same thing in Puck. He was a very talented guy, looked good, and you could see he was very career-driven and that's what those two lads were like. Um, my last interactions technically with Drew were through the WWE with his... Do you remember they did a special on him for WrestleMania? I don't know if it was when he won the belt or after he won the belt. So they wanted some footage licensed off me for that. I didn't want to do it. I kind of lost interest. And they came to COVID. He said, oh, you really wants it to put it in. So I said, okay. Licensed the footage for that. I got paid. That's fair enough. They did his book. They asked to license some pictures for his book. I said, okay, uh, but I didn't get paid. So that kind of left a bit of a sour taste in my mouth. With, um, so when I think of Drew, I just think of the WWE only money. And at the moment, they used, I don't know if they still use it on his Titantron, but when they did Clash in the Castle in Wales, I got a text off some people and said, uh, I see they're using Irish whip uh, footage again. So I didn't get paid for that either. So when I think of Drew now, I just think of money that WWE owes me that they didn't pay me for regards footage. So it's it's weird how you make the mind connection with some people and individuals, isn't it? Yeah, that is interesting. Yeah, yeah for sure. Like that would be obviously if they're using your stuff, they they, they got to pay you. I mean, right? You would think. Yeah. Which and in fairness to them, they have they've used a lot of stuff from you over the years um, for clips and so forth. They would pay me to sign the license agreement. Uh, they were in talks, and technically they're still in talks, to want to buy the Irish Whip Wrestling library off me. Because I used to have a, a TV show over here, ran for two seasons, and I had a number of DVDs and a number of guys on those DVDs who were now WWE or AEW Japanese talent. Um, I thought it was sold two or three times. I was told, yeah, we'd just send over the paperwork, so it never happened. So when they started to use the footage without paying me, uh, they did it for Drew again on the Stone Cold show he did, his pit pod, his podcast on the network. I didn't get paid for that either, so again, that's what Drew. Now, in the end, they ended up paying me for some of the stuff they owed me for, um, but I just find it very surprising for like a multi-billion dollar publicly traded sports entertainment brand that realistically is bigger than UFC, you would put it up there with the likes of uh, Sony, with Netflix, with Amazon that uh, don't pay their bills or they kind of take advantage of the small businessman. Um, that was very surprising to me. But that's going on now about three years. So they still have all my uh, hundreds and hundreds of mini DV tapes and external and internal hard drives and so forth. Like, you know? uh, but that's going on, yeah, almost three years now. So... WWE have not paid their bills when it comes to Simon Rochford and Irish with wrestling. Interesting. But on the positive, 
in fairness to the WWE, when Pat Barrett passed away, um, I did contact the guy I was dealing with in there, and I asked him, could he do something for Pat's memory? In fairness to him, he sent over some flowers, and he sent a, a signed letter from Vince McMahon for Pat's family and friends. I read that out of Pat's eulogy at his funeral, and I know that really uh, touched his friends that were there, and some people cried, and they didn't realize he was that well-respected by WWE and Vince McMahon. So that was something very positive that they did do, like, you know. And again, with Seamus, with my eldest son, giving him tickets, that's a positive. So pros and cons, like everything in life, you know. Maybe they don't know, not to give them an out, or maybe they don't know that they don't own the footage, you know, whoever's putting the stuff together. Uh, they do. I was on to numerous people. I made a formal complaint. Oh, um, okay. fa- fast lane. Do you remember that was the first? Um, I don't know what they call pay per views now, they call it something else, but that was the first premium live event. That's it. So, that was the first event that was on Peacock. So, I got a call off someone to tell me that they had seen footage of a build up of Seamus and Drew on the buy in show and then on the fast lane actual pay per view live event show itself so when i did contact them they blamed it on the swap over that the peacock staff had done that so they are aware of it like you know and they just choose not to acknowledge it um i was professional i was always very courteous went down my way i offered maybe to pay me a retainer until the sale goes through to use any content that they want they said no but they still used said content like you know um like, example, you were asking me about Seamus earlier on Drew. So, and other times I'd license stuff for Seamus, and it would be like kind of a sly dig at myself or Irish whip, which I didn't mind. Like I said, there's history there, and um, I got paid. At the end of the day, if you're getting paid, you can't complain. But it was when they didn't pay, is when I took issue with it. But look, I don't lose any sleep. I still have my life, my home, my family, which is uh, important, you know? So, Outside of uh, the WB stuff and the Seamus and the Drew stuff, when you're putting Irish Rip together, who's like some other big names that you had? I know you had tons of them come through. Who's some other big names? So when we started out first, like I said, um, one guy I used who, who, who was very helpful on the days was Robbie Brookside. So he's oh, a coach yeah. now down in Performance Center. People who don't know Robbie Brookside, um, Robbie to me would be like a William Regal. He's that veteran. He's that uh, intelligent when it comes to wrestling. Um, he knows wrestling inside out. He's a good guy. He's funny, charming. Uh, so I'm surprised he never went further within his career with the WWE. Maybe he's happy down in Florida. He w- wouldn't want to live in Florida, like, you know. Um, he was on the shows. We had Just Joe. Do you remember Just Joe? Joey Legend. Legend. Yeah. So he wrestled him. And I remember there's a promoter told me about Just Joe. He was a nice guy, Joey Legend. He said, just be careful when you're booking him. Give him his time. He always goes over time. Fair enough. I gave the match or something like 10 minutes. <laughs> all in all, entrance to exit, it goes like 25 minutes, which I thought was hilarious. Like, So he did go over. But still, it was uh, it was an extra 10 minutes on the show that fans enjoyed. Like, you know. So, yeah, there was uh, actually, and I had, this is where they made a big mistake on the first show I ran. So at the time, I brought in Zandig and Justice Payne to have a hardcore barber hurley match. So in Ireland, we have a hurley, which is their version of the baseball bat. It was all wrapped up in hurls and the light tubes. That was a mistake because uh, it was spraying out into the crowd. I thought it was going to get sued. 
people enjoyed it, but it was too hardcore for what the show was and people who were there. They enjoyed it. They had two matches on the day. They swapped the title back and forth. Um, and that chap, God bless him, just as pain. He committed suicide there, I believe, a few years ago. Yeah. Which is unfortunate, like, you know. Um, and after that, you had a ladder match on. So there was a Hungarian wrestler called Michael Kovac and an Austrian guy called Krista Bambi Killer, who I think he was signed with development deal at one, one stage they were doing a TLC match so when I look back now at what I did then how we put a show together it was a mess <laughs> I really didn't know what I was doing um whereas obviously as time goes on you learn how to put a show together who choose who not choose how to get return business but it, it was a learning curve from the very naive mistakes that I made in the day but over the years yeah I would have had two seasons of Whiplash TV which broadcast primarily in Britain and Ireland, and it went as far as France and Germany, or sorry, France and Spain. So I would bring in a lot of touring guys. There's a guy called Brian Dixon, uh, a promoter over in England, who, um, again, doesn't get the credit he deserves for the promoter that he was. He ran the biggest promotion, not only in Europe, but one of the biggest promotions in Europe. And he gave a lot of work to people over the years, like, you know. So when he would have guys in from whatever, America, Canada, I would use a lot of them on shows here, DVD tapings or tours. Um, there was guys you had over that I had planned to use, and at the last minute you pulled them off me, people like um, Brian Danielson, Natty Neuhart. Uh, who else did he have? Simbo D. Now, I can understand... Because if they come in for me, I might have two shows on that weekend where he might need them for a, a week-long camp, like, you know? So, I don't know what animosity there, but it was just a shame. If I had I had them in, I would have had more uh, well-known names on the archive footage that I own, like, you know? So, the TV tapings were interesting. The two series that I put together, I used to tape four shows. So, for anybody out there that's ever going to tape TV shows, do two maybe at most, I'd recommend. When you put four together, the audience just leave in droves. They do, they get bored, especially when it's yep. kids. You have a half full building. So um, it wasn't until I ran season three, or excuse me, season two, and I dropped that down to three shows. And I would try to rush all the matches together and do promos the next day. Um, so season two was much better of Whiplash TV than season one. Season one, I really didn't know as a, I wouldn't call myself a TV producer, but a format in a TV show, season two to season one, I knew big time the difference is going into it like um so anyone out there that's ever format and dvds are well dvds are to get a pass now for uh streaming a show it really is for the, the people watching online some people forget that and the they format uh, a streaming show as if it is a house show or a live event which it's not really like it's for people you're going to get that bigger audience paying hopefully more the way pay-per-view is obviously you hope to get like, a much bigger audience paying to watch your product. So always make sure that you're putting the best, best show on for people who are watching your show by streaming channels. How'd you get on TV, though? How'd you get the national TV spot? So how we got the TV spot was through a guy called Sean Herbert. So I, I knew Sean. I used to do tape trading in the day. So I was the only tape trader in Ireland back wow. uh, 20 years ago. So we'd have stuff from Japan, or you'd have it from Europe, um, Mexico, obviously America, Canada. And I would get to know, know guys through selling on the tapes or they, they might put requests in. So that's where I met Sean. He was a big wrestling fan. And then he did it 
actually he recorded the first couple of shows, Irish Whip shows I did, and he told me of his plans to put a wrestling channel together. Um, and he put a lot of work into that, actually. A lot of work is. And again, people forget who Sean is to a degree, what the wrestling channel was. But the wrestling channel at the time was the force of its kind in the world. Now, I know in Japan, um, they had some kind of a wrestling channel, but it wasn't a Pacific Soul only wrestling uh, channel as such. So he had that. He eventually sold that to fight sports is that what they're called in canada fight yeah, yeah the fight yeah. network yeah adventures all to them and and then it went out of business but his two biggest shows for all, all the promotions he broadcast his two biggest shows were world of sport which at that stage was like 30 40 years old like you know some of the footage was 50 years old and used to get higher ratings for that than you would for say tna or ring of honor so i always found that quite interesting and the company who funded the wrestling channel you're from england a, a company called dolphin house who did all the advertising for sky tv they had two channels with sean after that movies for men and another movie channel which the name escapes me and they used to show world of sport on that too because it got such high ratings so world of sport for some people who, who watch it with the odds oh, kind of old school wrestling it's very boring in the day it was brilliant and obviously it still has an audience that uh they would show that on those channels to get people to tune in to watch movies like so long story short that's how I, I got on to the wrestling channel was true sean i ran it for two seasons um again it was with the wrestlers that would come in regardless of your irish english american unless they were really experienced with like a wcw maybe or a wwe their awareness of where the camera was was very bad they were turned back to the cameras to go run over on the time and we had to take 20 shots. Like Drew was terrible. No, Drew was an excellent talent. Excellent talent. But when it came to promos, <laughs> it would take 20, 30 promos to get one promo. Like. So eventually what would happen was um, the editor would just wouldn't include the promos because you have to go through so many or the vignettes and so forth. And then it just became matches and you weren't edited. And it, it became a lot of work for everybody. And I was making more money for merchandise and ticket sales from live events than it was from the TV show. So I just decided there's no point in doing the TV show. It's taken away from what I'm making at live events. Then when I went into DVDs, I used to sell a ton of DVDs. And you'd sell them like uh, euros, maybe 20 euros. By the end of it, it was really hard to sell DVDs and you might sell DVDs for five euro. And eventually you couldn't even sell them like, you know? So it's, yeah. it's crazy how the business has changed like, you know, it really is. Um, for me as a person from, from a business point of view, I learned so much from wrestling that I ended up I promoted um, music events and so forth. Uh, I tribute acts, people like The Cure and so forth. Uh, and I've used the skills I learned with live events and wrestling, dealing with some of those international talents and venues to get better deals. Um, eventually, I'd sell shows on. And yeah, I made... I did quite well at wrestling, so I've no animosity towards wrestling whatsoever. It, it re I enjoyed it when I was younger, obviously, and when I was running shows, I made money from it. And yeah, I've nothing but positive things to say about pro wrestling. You see some people who leave it and hate or bad experience yeah. that they had, but wrestling, it can. If you're a wrestler, you're a promoter, even a fan, you can have your bad experiences with wrestling. It's very, um, it can be a very toxic business at times, very self-absorbed and people are very selfish. But if you let that get into your mind, it just ruins your own experience. Like, so you're just best 
controlling your own experiences within wrestling as a fan or a performer. As far as TV, who did you help like expose to the to the world or really exposed so, to Europe? Or who did you help? Yeah, so with Europe, so Irish with wrestling, Whiplash TV, it was the only TV show at the time in the whole of Europe. So um I would have primarily used a lot of touring talent at the time. Come season two, I knew exactly who I wanted to use. So for example, I'll talk about season two here. Now, season one and two, I had Drew on it and I had Seamus on it. Uh, they're probably the most well-known names that people would know. Uh, season one, I had Finn Ballard and he he came in to do uh, some shows. Again, I booked him in a match for 15 minutes. He went six minutes. It was just, a, you know, calling the time. So I lost out. I had to try and fill those extra. Yeah, well, it wasn't a live TV show, but I had to find something to fill those minutes. He went short in his match. So little problems like that you were good problems i suppose like you know but when you see him now obviously is a tremendous talent uh he does pay-per-views tv shows japan he was a, a, a top talent over there so again like i said earlier on yourself you learn these things as you go along so with seamus and drew um seamus was a big guy so i knew a lot of the irish talent most of the irish talent weren't to his caliber size wise so I wanted to bring in guys for him to fight. So we had a guy called Madman Manson. He was a tall guy, so I used to feud him with Drew. And it worked well, but it ran its course. Season two, I wanted Drew to feud with Seamus. I wanted Drew to have his own little, you know, be a cowardly heel. Even though he's a big guy, a cowardly heel, he has his guys, and that's who Seamus fights. So we didn't have to rely on Irish guys. I could bring in English guys. Or British guys for Seamus to fight, and it worked out perfect. Now I know um, Drew in his book took took credit for his little group was called the Foreign Legion, and he put this idea together. Where I got the idea of the Foreign Legion from was actually from um, indirectly from Conan. So Conan down in Mexico TV had a group called the Foreign Legion, and they were people on the outside who would come in to fight the local Mexican faces. So that's where I got the idea from of bringing in a group of outside Irish faces to face the big Irish hero, which was Seamus. And it worked extremely well, like, you know? So I had um, Seamus, obviously, he went on to get signed from uh, that TV show, Drew McIntyre. There was a French lad, Pierre, Pierre Marceau here. He spent some time in Florida. I don't know what he was called there. Um, and he went to TNA after that. There was two French guys. One was the, the French stallion. Uh, good looking guy, ripped a beard. It wasn't him, it was his tag team partner. Uh, Wade Barrett was here. Wade came in. It was, I think, it was Seamus who told me about Wade. He met him in Wales. Wade came in with a guy, guy called Dave Steele. The two of them looked good, big, tall guys. Monsters is what you wanted. But Wade had something to him, how he carried himself, his facials, you know. So, um, I ended up using him long term in that feud as well with Seamus. Um, which I'm, it's, I'm very surprised that he, he just stays as a commentator these days because he is quite talented and he had got a good look back in the day, like you know. Yeah, I wonder if he has some sort of neck injury or something. Why he maybe actually, yeah, yeah, because um, he is a good talent, like you know. And Drew, I'm not surprised that Drew, to tell you the truth, when Drew went over and he got to TV so quick, um, I wasn't surprised because he he had that you could tell him and Pac. You could tell there was something there. Drew, I wouldn't be surprised at the at the success he had at the time and what he's gone on to become because he's absolutely brilliant. Um, Seamus, well, he was equally as good. He wasn't 
drew like you know yep. so when he got onto tv i thought he needed a lot of work when he got to america but i think he's had a tremendous career he's reinvented himself so many times uh changes his look um somebody had told me he had a match with walter i went and i checked it out it was a tremendous match and the fact that he stayed on tv as a regular character for what's it now 15 years just pretty much yeah. yeah 15 or 16 yeah it's been a while yep so that says a lot about him as a as a performer like you know and as an athlete on top of that man it's crazy to think like how long that they've lasted drew i know drew got released and came back but crazy to think how long they've kind of been on tv for it's nuts it's like 15 it 16 is. years and if you think of Finn Balor as well, like he is, I know he's a smaller guy than the other two, but he's tremendously talented. Like he's a great athlete, he's a great technical wrestler. Um, obviously, he's doing well there now. Like so, in Japan, he, he was tremendous in Japan. Um, I'm surprised he he hasn't got a bigger part than he has now at the moment. Like, or or it took him to get where he is now. Like, because he is a tremendous talent, you know. And another person, while she was around the Irish Whip shows, she used to come back in the day and hang out. Just some of the shows with Finn was Becky Lynch. Now, Becky had a brother oh. called Richie. Richie Quinn is his name, but he wrestled as Gonzo DeMondo. And he was trained by Finn Balor. He was a big guy, wasn't very good with a mic or doing interviews, but tremendous wrestler, great technician, brilliant heel. You'd put him out there automatically get heat off people but uh, he kind of left wrestling he, he wasn't interested anymore he's a sculptor now and an artist and he, he does quite well for himself but i always think of him he definitely had it in him to be a minimum in the farm system with florida uh i kind of what was called at the time and then became next FCW, he definitely yeah. had that animal like you know 100 anyway pecky lynch becky lynch is it's it's unusual one because she came into wrestling, she went abroad, she made a name for herself, didn't work out. She, she hurt herself, that's why it didn't work out. She came back, tried all these different careers and the flight attendant, tried to be an actor, stunt coordinator. Um, um, she gave up from what was told by her trainer. She decided to give it one more go. Then she got science, she went to Florida. And then while she was in Florida, uh, I believe she was having problems down there, um, as in maybe being caught. She made it to the main roster. Look at her now. She, like, Becky, I wouldn't see her as a top female talent. I would see her as a top actual talent within the wrestling industry. Like, she's like Peter Dinkle. Dinkle, is that his name? The small guy from Game of Thrones? Peter Dinklage. Dinklage. You don't think of him as a small parent. You think of him as a great actor. Yep. So when you look at Becky Lynch, you don't see a female wrestler. You see a, a, a top talent. Anyway, the point I'm trying to make with Becky is I'm surprised... Um, Nothing's been done with her, like a movie or a, a book, because she's had a tremendous personal life journey up and down to get where she is. Um, millionaire. She's, I believe she's making movies, TV shows now. She's married, just handsome Greek-looking guy, Seth Rollins, you know? Um, so, yeah, I think there's something there for WWE to, to delve into deeper with her, I think, actually. I think she, she realistically, I could see her tr transcending wrestling the way john cena has her, or batista like you know i think she's playing cindy lopper in the young rock which is the rocks tv show on nbc really? so she's getting into that world a little bit so you might be onto something there yeah, fair play to her I'll, I'll have to check that out 
were you surprised at how popular she became? Because it seems like you weren't surprised. You seem like you you were right. Because when surprised she was the man, she became popular. Just one. like it's tremendous. Like the, the the point I'm trying to make is that she it didn't work out for her the first time. So she tried all these different things like um, acting, uh, a stunt woman, uh, an air hostess. But she tried these. Things. Some people when they fail the first time, they give up completely. And you talk about what you wear for the rest of their, for the rest of their life. You talk about what you wear in the past. But she's done so much again and again and again. And look where she is now. And you were saying there she's doing uh, the TV shows. Yep. I think she's going to have a huge career outside of wrestling. And obviously, she's had a great career, career in it. So, again, I don't think she's somebody who gets the credit she should get of the journeys that she's had to get where she is. Like, because she's worked for it. Like, you know, some guys you could say the big, tall, the muscular guys, or somebody's gorgeous looking. But she's actually walked each step of the way to get where she is and that says a lot about people in life not just in wrestling like you know inspirational people yeah mm. yeah she's had quite a uh, quite a run quite a career mm. so um there has been people i've seen in in wrestling who look we're talking about becky's brother richie uh i had some guys here that i thought were really good there's have you ever heard of a group in Ireland called ott yes so in OTT, yep. Joe, who's the owner of OTT, he used to wrestle here in Irish Whip, and his brother wrestled here as well, called George. George McFly, he was on season two. Yeah, season two of Whiplash TV. Excellent talent. So obviously Joe went on and he got signed with the development system. But his brother, George, excellent talent. Good-looking guy, great shape, great in the ring, not natural charisma. But he gave up wrestling, he did some jiu-jitsu and went on elsewhere with his life. So with him as well, I would have been interested to see where he would have gone if he stayed at wrestling, like, you know? Um, I had a guy here called Mandrake, Garrett Kidd. Uh, he was tremendous. But at the time, uh, Seamus had blocked guys in Irish Whip from getting tryouts because he that we had. And I remember Fit Finley passing the word back through a very well-known old Irish promoter called Peter Nulty. And he said to me, look, Fit Finley's after saying, Taylor guys not to mention Irish whip wrestling because of the heat with Shames. Fine. But if that heat wasn't there, I could definitely see Mandrake being in the farm system and potentially getting some kind of a spot um, on the main roster, maybe as open and mid-card. He was that talented. Like, you know, he was a legit martial artist as well. He had charisma. Uh, work ethic was through the roof. Like, So he's somebody else that, unfortunately... He left wrestling and he became an instructor. He has his own MMA gym now, like you know, and he's a musician too. Like, but he was an excellent talent. I actually I, I, on my podcast, I interview him actually. Um, Mandrake Garrett Kidney talks about some of his experiences um, when he went to his tryouts. Eventually, when he did get his tryouts, like so, it's it's quite interesting with him. Um, and I'm sure there's lots of guys that could have similar stories in America, Canada, um. England, the whole lot who were good that just didn't make it. Didn't get to there, yeah. Yeah, and then have you ever heard of a group called FWA in England, Frontier Wrestling Alliance? Yeah, they had a deal with ROH. I want to say in like yeah. 03, 04, they had like a working agreement with them. Yeah, like Zebra Kid would wrestle and, you know, a few guys. So Zebra Kid wasn't, even though we wrestled there, he was more his dad. Ricky Noy had his own thing going, WAW. So I wouldn't really call him an FWA trained guy. Oh, okay. you know, he was kind of brought in. So the point I'm trying to make is, yes. 
So we had Doug Williams, Johnny Storm, Jody, Jody Fleisch these days. Yeah. He's in yep. tremendous shape. Like, Oh, yeah. Him and Storm we used to come over here and wrestle yeah. for Ring of Honor. They were awesome, yeah. But something has happened. There's a lot of heat on the old FWA crew. That's why you've never seen them anywhere in development system or within WWE. So that's where your politics and wrestling come in, where people say politics if someone doesn't win or something childish or stupid but that's a prime example of when somebody has heat with you in wrestling they can really block a person or a group of people out from uh gaining career advancements which is a shame because doug williams is very talented um jody fleisch nick aldis and now i know nick aldis back in the day i met him a couple of times terrible attitude he's a changed man from what i believe but tremendous look speaks very well wrestles good looks brilliant he's a talent i believe he has heat with somebody and he can't get in as well like so it, it's crazy isn't yeah. it like you wonder would that happen in coca-cola would that happen in amazon you know it, would an executive say oh well you don't like that guy from your school days we're not going to hurt him you should always hire someone who's very good for the job and professional yeah company. that's what's Weird. the important part is regardless of childish or immature problems with yep. the person like you know but that's wrestling. Weird. Yeah, weird the way that works out. It's like you don't always hire the best people. Exactly. <laughs> it's all politics, yeah. Exactly. Shame, with really. you, with you, I mean, there was, I think, Wolfgang appeared on your team. I mean, there's yes, so many we, guys we, that would end up in WB, but also were, were you, your Wolf. We had Wolfgang, so he, he came in for a, a couple of TV tapings. The Scottish scene, I have to say, really took off. Uh, um, What's the group over there called now? They're on the network. Oh, um, the group that's over just, here now. Like, I know it's they, a Scottish promotion. Insane yeah. Championship Wrestling? Insane cha Championship Wrestling, that's it. They really took off. I remember them in the early days, Wolfgang and all those guys. Uh, they weren't great. But like overnight, and it's the same with the Germans, WXW, they advanced as well um, to where they went from Osenberg, I think it was called, one show every now and then to like, literally a whole territory in Germany, top class production. Um, so yeah, Wolfgang became great. There's another guy who was in Scotland, I can't think who he was offhand. Look, Jack Jester looked excellent, good talent as well. He, he never really went anywhere. We had Lionheart in here, actually, just something else that brings me to so Lionheart came in as well for some TV tapings. He was a Scottish guy. Now, unfortunately, he passed away, uh, he, he committed, committed suicide. So, on my YouTube channel. I originally started it out as Suicide Fire. So it was about suicide awareness videos. It was about short stories, poetry, you know, to basically encourage people if they are feeling that way to talk about it and, you know, create a community. But people don't, well, they say they're all for mental health and they're all for helping these people out. I and mean, when somebody passes away in wrestling, between wrestlers and fans, and um, you're saying Justice Payne earlier on, there was a guy in Whiplash called Domino. He was the English version of Domino, big guy. He wrestled real a couple of times on Whiplash. Lovely man, gentleman, but he committed suicide as well. And like he was a guy you be like, what problems would he have? Like he's big, he's good looking, he's a DJ, and you know it was it was a shame. So people don't like to talk about those kind of things. Like they only talk about it in the moment when it happens and say it's terrible, it's awful. But people should, should be continu continually pushing these things. So with my YouTube channel, I only put wrestling on some old school Irish whip matches. Um, to get some interest in the channel. But then I found that I was losing 
people who had joined for the the, the creative content <laughs> because of the wrestling like so right. it was very hard to have a mixture on the yeah. channel but, but that's something i think people need to speak about in wrestling it, it's suicide in life in general it's not a taboo subject like you know i've had people who, who, who would like the page or whatever and i go oh i didn't mean to like that you know it's a suicide fire Sure, that's okay. All you know is liking a page, and they think people will think they have a problem if they like a page called Suicide Fire. Like it's 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 a shame, really. Like you know, but yeah. Like to go back to WWE, AEW, uh, New Japan. Let's say these big top shelf worldwide promotions. I feel they should be doing something more for an industry that does have a suicide rate. Where that that's some kind of an awareness through their own, own branding, uh, maybe putting workshops on, inviting people to workshops. Like when they go to some countries to put tryouts on, why not have some kind of a workshop on maybe for mental health awareness within sports entertainment industry? Like you know, um, I I know they talk about um, promotions having bigger production values and whatnot, but if you're gonna have promotions with bigger production values, then fund them set up some kind of a system of somebody insurances maybe have them all under one insurance policy if people meet your standards of what you need to be somebody that's in your um what, what word would you use here your umbrella say if you're in brazil you're in ireland you're in mexico somebody that can come along and do things to your standards and then you know automatically to go there and look for wrestlers like you know because if you look at it now they're signing a lot of uh basketball players football players but they're in proper legit colleges that have all those kind of money and funding put into them to make them good athletes. Why not put something, if you're W or AEW or whoever, at that level back into the system to give somebody an athlete's mind? Because athletes, they're trained, you know, there's consequences, they might lose. So build that kind of same mentality, the hard work of an athlete and a professional wrestler, like, you know? That's just my two cents. <laughs> Some more mental health awareness, for sure. Mental health awareness, but also the mind of an athlete and a professional wrestler, which are two very different things, like, you know? Uh, yep. uh, any professional wrestler's uh, mindset as uh, a performer to that of a football, amateur football player, their athletic mindset are completely different. If I was WWE, I don't blame them when they sign a lot of um, football players, for example. Because it's, it's like I said, they're aware of the consequences of losing the game, of needing to be in shape to get picked to be on that team. Whereas in professional wrestling on the indie level, you just get booked if you sell tickets or you just get booked if you're trained in the skill for a while. Like There's a big difference. So yep. people need to like think deeper when they give out about certain things that they see in the wrestling industry. Like you know, For sure. For sure. Mm. Just switching topics, though. I was curious about Japan as well. You guys had a few... Uh, deals arrangements with like pro wrestling noah and dragon gay and stuff too yeah so you guys so, had some great deals with japan in the early days the guy who set up that deal was doug williams so to backtrack to 2002 i used mike modest on my four shows lovely guy gentleman do any anything you want them to do so i put mike modest he was wrestling in noah at the time in japan so i, I roomed him with doug williams Doug made the contact, he got into Japan. Well, Doug was in Japan, then he made a deal with Noah to, to bring their guys over to Europe. So they would wrestle around Europe. So when they came into Europe, I would use the guys who were touring around. Some excellent talent. Uh, Tajiri Ishimori, 
So Shiaki, Ricky Marvin, even though he's Mexican, he was with them at the time. I had um, Takishi Riccio. He was an excellent talent. Uh, I remember there was a match for him and Mandrake. <laughs> so I have a, a, a YouTube channel, um, Suicide Fighter. It was a three-way, Kid Cash, Mandrake and Takishi. And it was a tough match. Like Cash likes to lay it in, like, and you could see him, like, he'd lay it into your guy, Mandrake, but he wouldn't lay it into the Kishi, because Kishi would lay it back into him, like, but all good guys, really good match, but those Japanese guys were excellent, and an old guy who came in with the Kishi was a guy called Ippi Ota, now, I believe he's left wrestling, he had an injury, but he was, he was a character, he was funny, the whole lot, so when you're flying guys in, you have to pay for all the baggage, so I would say to him, like, you know, if you have your bags, can you just keep it to watch? If they're staying in England, say, you don't need to bring everything with you because we'll have to pay extra for all those bags. So anyway, to work out wherever bags they needed, you pay for them. And I remember the driver was telling me when Ippy and Takeshi came out of the airport, they had their bags. Uh, so obviously, Ippy was a younger guy, so he was carrying the bags for Takeshi. And then his own bags, he just opened it up, took his jacket off. They were completely empty, his suitcases. <laughs> Oh, and he threw his bag into the suitcases. So I paid wherever it was 40 quid a suitcase, and there's nothing in them. So I don't know if it was a rib bringing empty suitcases for me to pay for it, but uh, I just thought that was funny. He used the suitcase just to put his his coat in there. Yeah, <laughs> uh, was, that was like, yeah. Um, and also, then I did a deal myself with Dragon Gate. Yeah, another so, great promotion. Yeah, yeah. Oh, excellent, excellent. So I brought in. Initially with them, it was Seema and Dragon Gate. Not Dragon, Dragon Kid. Dragon Kid. Um, Seema was saying at the time he was going to move to Greece. He had friends in Greece. So that didn't work out. I was going to plan to use him more. So the two of them would come in, and then while they were here, they'd go off and work elsewhere in Europe. Then I brought in the other two Dragon Gate guys were Lupton Mastana, I think his name was. He did a James Bond gimmick. Very nice guy. He had an injury. He left wrestling. And now I can't pronounce this guy's name. Kanchiri Arari. He did some work with Mexico as well. I-R-W-G. Tough as nails. Um, I remember him in some matches here with Kid Cash. They would beat the living hell out of each other in the matches, trying to prove who was tougher. You know, the audience yep. wouldn't have a clue on there, beating the head off each other. Like, But one thing I have to say about Japanese wrestlers is they're very professional. They're very polite. They're very courteous. Um, I actually loved working with Japanese wrestlers who were so easy to get on with and they would do anything that was awesome. Like, you know, a lot of respect for Japanese wrestlers. Mm. And Dragon Gate, those guys were like ahead of their time. A lot of the moves that oh they would God. do and stuff that they pull off yeah. were amazing. Um, I remember when they came over here that they'd bring some merchandise with them. And obviously, well, we're here going around the country, then we'd be popping the DVD. And you'd see them coming out in, in, in the shows in Japan, the dancing, the umbrellas, the girls with them, the musical acts. Yeah, it was tremendous. I think if you had something like that now, you'd actually get an audience for it. Like I know people give out, you hear people giving out about AEW and it's this and it's that, but it's it's an alternative to what the WWE is putting out. Like Big They time. obviously have a fan base. Um, I know some people say they have a bigger fan base, but they have a fan base. And that's what people like. So I think if you had something like Dragon Gate even on top of that, with your dancing, your acts, and then your your after elaborate entrances, you would have these um fantastic matches. It would be tremendous, like you know. 
Yes. So with Irish uh, whip wrestling, is it gone for good? Will it ever return? To tell you the truth, so when what I would do, I would run all around the country all year long. So then what I started to do was, because wrestling, when you're running a full-time promotion, takes over your whole life. Family life, your professional life. I have friends who lost contact with the whole lot, but you just get used to it. And you get so used to wrestling. But then I remember I, I got divorced back around 2010. And I had to cut back a bit to deal with the legalities of that. And I asked a guy, Captain Rooney, who wrestled on some of the shows, to step in for me. And I would do the admin side of it, and he would do the practical side of it in person at the shows. And I got a taste back for life again, like, you know, doing things and meeting friends. So what I did was, flash forward to around 2015, I made it seasonal. So from May to September each year, I would exclusively sell on shows. Now, sold shows, maybe 20% of my shows all year round. But then I would exclusively have completely sold on shows, whether it's fundraisers, um, agricultural shows, fairs, Six Flags. You have them over in the States, you know, places like that. And that was great. So I'd have six months of doing that, selling merchandise. Now, they weren't particularly a wrestling audience, but it was guaranteed money. It wasn't the same as your that stress of needing return business from each town you go to, like, you know. So that's what it turned into for me. And then when COVID came along, um, obviously I didn't run 2020, 20, but then I was just like, you know, I, I put my interests elsewhere. So I work in social care. I work with people with intellectual disabilities. As a result of that, I, like I said, I started writing more creative stuff, short films. Um, I put a lot of my time into a trade union called Forza. They're the biggest public sector trade union in the country of Ireland. So I worked my way up to the branch chairperson with them. So I have been putting my energies and so far in other places. It's more productive. It's more professional there. Unfortunately, wrestling, unless you're at a certain level, it's, it's not really professional as such like, you know. Um, so I'm quite happy what I'm doing now. Will I go back to promoting wrestling as it stands at this moment? No. Uh, one of the main reasons is I don't miss it, the drama of it. And the second is there was a promoter that ran here for a while and he would give out free tickets, cheap merchandise. He basically salted the earth in all these towns, so it was very hard to go back to them. Uh, there's a lot of work that needs to get done there before those towns can get built back up. So I don't particularly have the interest to invest time and money into building those towns up to where maybe they'll come back to what they were five years ago. Or maybe they won't. So I'm, I'm not willing to take that risk. I'd rather invest somewhere else. I might go back to promoting music gigs again instead of that. So as a result, unfortunately, wrestling in Ireland at the moment has two sides. So one side, it's very small and regional. So if you're a fan, you're like, oh, my God, so many promotions in Ireland these days. It's great. Loads of shows to go with it. But it's such a mixture of promotions. So you have ones that are run out of their gym once every couple of months, say, in spots around the country. That's going to regress to what it was in the day. So when I ran in the day nationally, you had Arig Williams, Peter Nolte before that, like proper nationwide promotions. It's regressed that way. Now, on the flip side, you have OTT, which is a tremendous promotion, tremendous. The production levels are through the roof. Um, they're bringing a host of international talent. They're core guys that they have um are, are top shelf i wouldn't look at irish 
or OTT is the top promotion in Ireland. I would look at it as one of the top promotions in Europe. It's wow. really is very good. Um, now, I know on the network you have, I'm trying to think of the English promotion, German, WXW, Insane, the Scottish group, and Progress. Progress is the English promotion. OTT, I know there was talks there at one stage, I have them on it, and something happened that fell through there. Like, But they do deserve to be on there with the level of production that they have got. Um, which is unfortunate, like, and I think currently at the moment, even though it's in German, I think the WXW show is the best show on the network. It's uh, it's colourful, has a lot more promos, you know, it's subtitled. I think that's a good, proper wrestling show, the way it's formatted. So it'd be interesting to see if there's any more of that on the network going forward. Um, back in the day, there was a guy, Felix, I think Felix left there. Felix Cronenberg was in WXW. There used to be Booster Fontaine in France. Um, I, they were all these different uh, promoters. So I've always bringing somebody in. I could work a deal out with them that they would use them for X amount of dates. That way you get a better deal on these wrestlers. So they might come down on their rate. Well, they normally would, but again, X amount of shows around Europe. Like uh, I had the likes of Tracy Smothers that would come in for tours. Then he'd go on to the rest of Europe Big Vito, Doug Basham, Balls Mahoney, uh, your Kid Cash, Bobby Fish. Like there's a whole host of names that came in through Irish whip over the years, like you know, and toured toward us all around the country, like you know. Um Tracy Smothers, I have to say, was a gentleman, absolute character. Oh, yeah. And one second he could beat you up, <laughs> next second he would be our best friend, but lovable guy, very good with younger talent, uh, excellent on the show. Do anything you ask him to do. Like um, unfortunately, he did pass away. But uh, in Ireland, we never had that caliber of veterans to train guys in. Whereas now we do, obviously, just likes of uh, a Ballymun Bruiser, Garrett Kidd, Paddy Morrow, Max O'Brennan, you know, so far, it is good quality. Talent. And obviously, if Seamus and Fimbler and Becky ever come back to live in Ireland, you have that there. But just unfortunately, back in the day, you didn't have that. So wrestling, um, it's quite changed now in Ireland compared to what it was in the day. And I feel it's missing psychology storytelling and the the good drama of hooking people to make them want to see it again and come back for a return business that's why if, if promotions anywhere in the world were to run the same venue every few months and have a few of them and get that return business it builds you know you will learn how to tell stories through characters and with your wrestlers to get them to keep coming back rather than once a year or once every two years um but look everything in life changes Wrestling has to change with that. Look at your streaming services now. Look at the production values of groups like OTT, WXW, like, you know, tremendous, like, really has changed f for the better. And in some areas, it hasn't changed for the better as regards to storytelling. I think everybody wants to do comedy these days, really, don't they? Kind of the yeah. comedy, which is, which is not great. Like, yeah, don't like either one of those. Yeah. I had a, a friend of mine, a Canadian guy called Trevor, but he wrestled as Vid Vane. I had him for a few tours in the day. He used to train James and that when he would come over. And you, you you have Tom Pritchard on your podcast. Oh, yeah. That's Don't, yeah. yeah. So Tom Pritchard was the talent relations guy at the time. And when Vid Vane would go up there for his tryouts, Tom was the guy there. And I remember Trev saying at the time, he'd go for his tryouts and he felt like this close to getting signed. He, he had a good relationship with Tom Pritchard. And then Tom Pritchard was gone and then he changed and John Laronitis came in. So it really is, again, 
you know, so he would have been a Tom Pritchard guy, and people, you know, you have to realize how a corporate company works, not just wrestling, corporate businesses. When a new executive comes in, they like to do things their way, and anything that's productive or positive has to be a result of them. So I unfortunately think that Trevor, if Tom Pritchard had stayed on, Trevor would, would have had a, a career with, with the WWE, like, you know? Yeah, definitely. So as we hit the wind down, we head towards the finish here. What's next? Any TV projects? Any film projects? What's next? Actually, what I'm working on at the moment, well, I about two years ago, I put a, a, a teleplay together for a half an hour comedy show wrestling. Um, now, I hadn't got it formatted correctly. I thought I had it formatted correctly. So I sent it on to some people I know in production companies here in Ireland, but they told me that realistically it would have to format it. It said it wasn't to do with the story of the characters. It's the way it had to be formatted for them to show it to a legit production company who would invest money in it. So I went off, I'm doing some um, workshops at the moment of how to format a proper um, TV script. Oh, I suppose it's like wrestling. I kind of I did it off my own back, but realistically, I should have gone to a wrestling school and learned how to do bumping and stuff like that before I would actually go to a yeah. legit company, like you know. So I'm working on that. Um, again, I'm when I have that format to, to industry standards, I'm going to start shipping that around again. Um, I'm having fun with the podcast at the moment. It's I'm only going to do about maybe 12, 14 episodes of it, just about the history of what Irish whip is and wrestling. Um, and the only guests I have in there are past Irish whip wrestling personalities or wrestlers. So um, I'm having, yeah, I'm enjoying that. I set, set up the YouTube channel, the algorithms. Uh, you nearly have to have a degree in algorithms to understand YouTube, wouldn't you? Yeah. <laughs> yep. Crazy. Um, yep. Ads and that. So I ha- have plans in my personal life, but from a professional point of view, creativity to generate an income. Um, Unfortunately, with TV shows and scripts, it's a very long process. So um, I don't know. I, I still have promoting in me. I'm working on, on a children's um, stage show at the moment. Um, it's about my version of what Irish fairies are. Like, and it's obviously aimed at young children. So um, I have some sketches done for that, some uh, preliminary stories. So I'm going to hopefully show that to – we have a um, – I can't think of what they're called offhand, but we have our own group here in Ireland that have sold on a number of shows to Nickelodeon in the States. Um, so as soon as I have it together, I'm going to go through an agent and send her on to them. And touch wood. It uh, works out, like, you know. Yeah, and it works out. Anybody decides to come along and run a territory in Ireland and build uh, the holes back up that were dug, then I might come on and on their backs and there. <laughs> yeah, nice. Well, so again, but, you know, but in fairness to OTT now, they are bringing in for audiences that international fan or international wrestlers like Irish Whip did back in the day, like you know. Um, if it was to go back, I was, I was supposed to no, never go back because it was to go back, I, you wouldn't have the streaming, you wouldn't have the same uh, areas to make an income back in the day. You had DVDs basically and merchandise and ticket sales and sponsorships, whereas now there's so, so many different areas to make money, like uh. You have Cameo, you have um, uh, GoFundMe's. There's so many areas for wrestlers and promotions to make money these days, like, you know, that wasn't around back in the day. And fair play to them that they have that, those avenues, like, you know. Oh, yeah, big time, big time. So before we let you go, where can everybody find you and the podcast and everything else social media-wise? 
So um, you can check out Irish Whip Wrestling on Instagram and on Facebook. I have the Suicide Fighter YouTube channel, which has the Irish Whip Wrestling uh, footage, suicide awareness videos, and it has the, the Irish Whip Wrestling Chronicles podcast. And that podcast is available on Anchor FM, Spotify, and all other usual locations. John, thanks for having me on. I enjoyed it. It was Yeah, thank you. So, thank you for all the time. I appreciate it. Yeah, awesome. Thank you. Cheers, John. This has been a John Paz Power Trip production in conjunction with the Two Man Power Trip of Wrestling. You could follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Two Man Power Trip. You could check us out on Facebook. You could subscribe on YouTube. You can go to patreon.com slash TMPT Empire to become a patron and also check out the website tmptempire.com and buy a shirt at prowrestlingtees.com. Two-man power trip where the power lies, brother. <laughs>